0: محمد رسول الله ويقيد أدنو الي ساجدا بجبين يقبل والصواب بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد uh, we're going to continue from where we left off. We were talking about the miraculous journey of the Prophet ﷺ, the Isra and the Mi'raj. And uh, we had just finished uh, the Prophet ﷺ rising up through the seven heavens. And I think we had also explained that the heavens are not the same as the uh, Jannat. The Samawat and the Jannat are two separate entities. And most likely the Jannat occupy the seventh heaven. Most likely the Jannat occupy uh, the samaa al or the seventh heaven. And we mentioned the wisdom of why uh, the Prophet met certain Prophets at each one of these uh, levels. Now, uh, as we said, one of the biggest problems of Al-Israa Al-Mi'raj is to piece together the narrative. There are specific Ahadith. We don't know when they occurred. So to put a chronology, to put a... A to Z, a picture, is very difficult to do. So we have, for example, one narration which seems very clear that the Prophet is engaging in conversations with the other Prophets. Where did this happen? Did it happen in Baytul Maqdis? One possibility. Did it happen when he's moving up to the heavens? Another possibility. And it's a very interesting narration that Abdullah ibn Mas'ud says, that uh, the Prophet sallallahu said that on the night he went to Isra wal Mi'raj, he met Ibrahim and Musa and Isa. So we know he met them. So they began talking about the day of judgment. So we f- learn from this that there are some conversations taking place between the Prophets of Allah. And Ibrahim... Was the first to be asked, tell us about the Day of Judgment. So Ibrahim said that I don't have any knowledge about the Day of Judgment. I don't have any knowledge. They asked Musa. And Musa as well said, I don't have any knowledge. They asked Isa. And Isa said that I have been promised or informed that... Between it and uh, that, one of the signs of it is that I will be coming back, and Allah Azza wa Jal knows when that is, and the Jal will come. So, Isa knows that he has a job of killing the Jal, and he told the other prophets uh, this. So, Isa says that I know that Allah will send me back to this earth, and I will. Uh, kill the Dajjal and the people will then go to their various countries and lands and Ya'juj and Ma'juj will come forth as Allah says in the Quran from every single valley, from every single area they're going to come and every water they pass by Ya'juj and Ma'juj will be drinking this water and finishing it up until I will make dua to Allah that they be killed. And so Allah Azza wa Jal will kill the Ya'juj and Ma'juj. And the entire world will be stenched with their uh, decomposed bodies. As far as the, uh, the, the, the one can smell, one can smell their uh, scent, their putrid smell. And I will then make another dua to Allah. So all of this Isa is saying that this is what Allah has told me. I know I'm going to do this. So he's telling the Prophet, and the Prophet is telling us. I will then make dua to Allah to get rid of these bodies. So Allah will send rain from the sky, and these bodies will be uh, washed away. And when this happens, I have been told the day of judgment will be. Uh, Like a pregnant woman who's about to give birth, as soon as she screams the, basically she's in labor, any minute is labor, there's an expression in Arabic, that, like the pregnant woman who is about to give birth, meaning, you don't know when, it's just about to happen, you know, we all know the time frame is gonna come, but when it comes exactly, we don't know, as soon as she says the water breaks, khalas, so, Isa is using this metaphor, that as soon as Ya'juj and Ma'juj disappear from this earth, that is when he said the day of judgment is like the pregnant woman about to give birth; as it's going to happen at uh, any time. And the Prophet says, "What Isa says, we find it in the Quran." So Subhanallah, he's basically confirming this is what's found in the Quran. Hatta he quotes one of the references to ya'juj and ma'juj. So clearly, uh, it's very interesting to note that this conversation has been preserved. How about the other conversations? Allahu Alam. What else did the Prophet ﷺ talk about? Allahu Alam. All of this is Ilm al Ghayb. What would he have asked them? Of the things he's asking them is the day of judgment. So they're talking amongst themselves, and both Ibrahim and and, 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 and uh, Musa say we have no knowledge at all. But Isa has knowledge. And Isa tells the Prophet, and therefore, we have a lot of hadith based upon this. Because Isa told the Prophet the details of what he was supposed to do. What he is supposed to do. And therefore, when you look at hadith literature, we find the Prophet telling us so many things about Ya'juj and Ma'juj, about Isa coming to ma- about this. And where is he getting this from? Well, we have one source right here. And that is Isa is the one telling him directly when he went up to Isra wal Mi'raj. There's another conversation that is recorded. The Prophet said, Laqitu Ibrahim laylata usriya I met Ibrahim the night that I went on the Isra and he told me ya Muhammad O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam aqri ummataka min salam Give my salams to your ummah So Ibrahim is telling his salams to us. And he's telling it through his own son, the Prophet Muhammad. So he's telling his own son, the Prophet, go tell your Ummah that I am giving them my salam. And this is a beautiful blessing that the Prophet Ibrahim is giving each and every one of us his salam. And inform them wa akbirhum anna janata turba that Jannah. Its soil is beautiful and luscious, wa anna ha qiyan, but it is barren. Jannah is qiyan is flat land, without any trees in it, right? And uh, then he explained where will the trees come from. Wa anna ghirasa ha subhanallah walhamdulillahi walla illa illallah wa allahu akbar. And the seedlings that we put in this. Soil will come from everybody saying subhanallah, alhamdulillah, la ilaha illallah, allahu akbar. So what Ibrahim salam is saying, tell your ummah I have seen Jannah. And Jannah is fertile soil, beautiful land, but it is barren. You need to plant your own trees in Jannah. How are you going to plant your trees in Jannah? Every Subhanallah becomes a tree. Every La Ilaha Illallah becomes a tree. Every Allahu Akbar becomes a tree. Every Dhikr that you do becomes a tree. So Ibrahim is saying, you're guaranteed to get a fruit because the, 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 the land is luscious and fertile. That in Annaha Tayyibatul Turba That the soil of Jannah is beautiful and luscious. Another conversation and a message that our... Uh, uh, Father and Prophet Ibrahim wanted us to know through our Prophet Muhammad that go tell your ummah this is how Jannah is. It is also narrated and again we don't know when perhaps this happened in Baytul Maqdis perhaps it happened after the seventh heaven. These are the two places that it happened that he met Malik and who is Malik? No, not the angel of death. angel of death is called Malakul Maut. That's his name. The angel of death is called Malakul Maut. Who is Malik? The, the gatekeeper of Jahannam. His name is in the Quran. The people of Jahannam. Oh Malik, go tell your Lord to exterminate us. We don't want to live anymore. Go tell your Lord to just get rid of us. That's what we want now. We don't want to sustain ourselves anymore in Jahannam. So Malik is mentioned once in the Quran. And Malik is therefore the khazin or the, uh, the, the, the gatekeeper of the fire of hell. So uh, our Prophet said that Jibreel said to me, O Muhammad this is Malik the khazin of Jahannam, the gatekeeper of Jahannam. Give him salam. So the Prophet said, I turned around to greet him before I could say anything. He was the one who greeted me, so I returned the uh, salam, And he did not smile at all. He seemed completely somber and completely sad. And so the Prophet Wasallam asked Jibreel, why is he like this? Because all the other angels... Clearly had, therefore, from this we derive the other angels clearly had a very positive vibe coming from them happiness and joy. Whereas Malik did not even smile upon seeing the Prophet. So Jibreel asked him, How come he's different? basically, and this shows us that the angels were happy when they saw the Prophet come because he had to ask about uh, Malik. And so uh, Jibreel responded that uh, he has never smiled or laughed since. He has been created because his job is Jahannam. And once he's seen Jahannam, he has never smiled or laughed. Since he has been created, but Jibril added, were he to have smiled for anybody, it would have been you. But his association of guarding Jahannam basically has made him so somber that he has never smiled or laughed since he has been created. Now, there is a wisdom here as well that uh, even though we're going to learn later on, that the Prophet saw Jannah and Jahannam, but he didn't visit Malik while he was on duty, if you like, right? Malik came to him to say salam to him. You understand the point that even though we're gonna come to this in a few minutes, after all of this is over, the Prophet saw Jannah and Jahannam, which means that you know, if he wanted to, he could have basically stopped by Malik at the gate and said salam to him, but he didn't. Malik was brought up to say salam to him. Why? From this, we, you know, one of the wisdoms we derive to emphasize that the Prophet salam, is as far away from the fire of hell as the seventh heaven is from. The lowest of the creation. That Malik is brought to him and not the other way around. And that is why Malik says salam to him. To show him superiority. To show him respect. That Malik is the one. Because he said, I turned around to say salam. But Allah didn't will that he say salam first. Malik was the one who said salam to him. And he was then responding to the salam. Just to show that there is no relationship at all. Even though Malik himself is a noble angel. right? But what is he associated with? Jahannam, and guarding Jahannam. And so the guard of Jahannam is giving his respects to the Prophet as a superior, which clearly shows that he has nothing, obviously nothing to do with it. So this is just of adab or respect. Otherwise, of course, even if the Prophet had said salam, we're not going to derive anything from that. But to clearly show the distance and to show the superiority of the Prophet from ever coming close to uh, anything to do with the Nauru Jahannam, this is why Malik is brought to him, and Malik is the one who says salam. He then uh, proceeded onwards. So we are now basically above the seventh heaven. He has met all of the prophets, including Ibrahim alayhi salam, and now he proceeds onwards above this. What is beyond this? He said, And then I saw in front of me the Sidratul Muntaha. What is the Sidratul Muntaha? The Sidra is a type of tree. It's a type of tree uh, that is known for its uh, large branches. That it covers a wide area. It goes very vast. And it's known for its delicious fruit and sweet scent. So it is a tree that grows Primarily in the desert, the type of sidra that uh, the Arabs knew, there's many types of sidras in our times, the type that the Arabs knew when the Prophet was saying sidra, what comes to mind is a type of tree that it grows in the desert and its branches are very vast, so there's a lot of shade coming out from it. And its fruit is luscious and its smell is sweet. And muntaha means the very end. So the Sidra at the end, this is how it translates into Sidratul Muntaha, the Sidra at the very end, in English this is called the Lote Tree, it's called the Lote Tree, in English this is the translation, and the Prophet ﷺ said, فَإِذَا Nabakuha qilali hajar." The Fruits of this tree were as large as the water jars of Hajar. The water jars of Hajar, unfortunately, we don't know how large they were. But we can imagine, you can even remember if you go back to, you know, cartoons and whatnot. You have these uh, large jars of oil, large jars of water. Uh, So this is like the largest jar they had was a storage jar. You know, you can imagine small, uh, you know, uh, closet size if you like. So the Prophet is saying, the fruits of this tree were as large as the jugs of the people of Hajar. And, now realize, this is what you call eloquence, by the way, that you're explaining something in, the, in a way that they'll understand. Right? This is metaphor. This is explaining things in, uh, in, a, in a symbolic language that they fully understand. All the people of the time know how large the uh, jars of Hajar are. Unfortunately, we have lost track of that. But the people he's speaking to know it. And then he said, and its leaves are like, adhanul <laughs> الفي its leaves are like adhanul fiyala which is the which is the ears of leaves uh, ears of the elephants right its leaves are like the ears of the elephants now it's really interesting here in that it is not authentically reported that the Prophet ever saw an elephant in his life right but he is describing it uh, like the ears of an elephant. Now we we all know, at least we all know the ears of an elephant, right? Big flappy things, right? So the Prophet is saying, the leaves of this tree are like the adhanul fiala. And then I was told, hadihi sidratul muntaha. In other words, he's seeing this tree and then he is informed by Jibreel, this is the sidratul muntaha. In a hadith in Bukhari he said, Thumman bi. then Jibreel continued going up with me. So this is, he's met all of the Prophets. He's met Ibrahim. Now Jibreel goes up with him even higher. Hatta ata Until we got to the Sidratul Muntaha. alwanun la adri It's a beautiful phrase here. Very interesting. Ghashiyaha means it was enveloped, so we can imagine it was enveloped, uh, meaning it, it's changing. And Allah Azza wa Jalla Himself says in the Quran, "Idyaghshasidratama yaghsha," that when the tree was covered up by what it was covered up with, Allah doesn't tell us what. It's a circular thing. yaghsha," when the tree was covered up by whatever was covering it up. And so the Prophet ﷺ is saying, There were colors basically going up and down the tree. I don't know what those colors are. It's a beautiful phrase here that there are colors beyond the spectrum that we know of, right? Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. This is a very small spectrum. Beyond this is, of course, many other types of energy and light. And the Prophet ﷺ is seeing something that in this world cannot be seen. Because in this world, this is the spectrum of the colors. So he is definitely in another zone, another dimension, whatever you want to call it. He is witnessing colors coming from this tree. He said, I don't know how to explain these colors to you. And I find this phrase very fascinating because it's, it's, it actually fits in very well with whatever we know uh, of science. Not that we want to scientifically interpret it, but you get my point that he is saying something so simple for the observer, the casual observer, but there's a deep and profound uh, truth to this. And that is that he is seeing something a completely different dimension, different world. That he is seeing energy and light coming to him from a completely He doesn't know how to describe this uh, color. Now, what is the Sidratul Muntaha? We have very little information about the Sidratul Muntaha. All that we know, this is the last thing that the Prophet ﷺ saw before he went above to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the final. And uh, we know that everything that rises up from earth... Stops at Sidratul Muntaha. Allah says in many verses that Allah raises things up. Give me an example. What does Allah say He raises things up? The souls. The souls. Okay, what else? <laughs> no, no, no. This is Rafa'at to this. No. Raises it up. Prayers. prayers, du'as. <laughs> <laughs> right. Good deeds, right? Uh, Kalimat Tayyib. All of these things, Allah raises it up. So, we learn from one hadith uh, that uh, in, in Sahih Muslim, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud said that the Prophet ﷺ said, then I, when I went on the Isra, I stopped at the Sidratul Muntaha and he said, sama is Sa'disa. It is in the sixth heavens. Ilayha ma min al At the Sidratul Muntaha, everything that ascends up from the earth, stops there. minha." And it is basically absorbed by the Sidratul Muntaha. And from it descends down everything that is coming to this earth and it emerges from it. So, Allah's Rahmah and the rain and anything that Allah wants to send down, the origination, the origination where does it begin from? Sidratul Muntaha. Right. So everything that is raised up goes to the sidratul muntaha. Everything that comes down starts from the sidratul muntaha. And uh, the Prophet said, "Id yarusha sidratama That when the tree was enveloped by what it was enveloped by, the Prophet ﷺ said, "Farashun min zahab." Butterflies from. Made out of gold. So one of the things that is surrounding the tree are beautiful butterflies with exotic colors made out of gold. So this is of the things that is surrounding the tree, and there are other things as well that we don't know because Allah has said Idiarshah that when the tree was enveloped by what it was enveloped by, Mazar al wama Taha. The eyes of the Prophet did not move beyond that, nor did they go astray, meaning he absorbed this beautiful sight. Right? Then Allah says, ra'a min ayati kubra. Looking at this tree, Allah says, He has seen of the ayat al-kubra. And if Allah is saying, this is a major ayah, then what is bigger than this? right? So, by viewing the Sidrat muntaha Allah is saying He has seen of His most magnificent creations uh, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the uh, Sidrat muntaha And uh, in one version of a Tabari, the Prophet ﷺ said, Id When it was enveloped by what it was enveloped by, the Prophet ﷺ said, it kept on changing until nobody can describe it for you. So the tree is not a static tree. We can, whatever image we get, it's an ever-changing tree. Colors are going up and down. There's butterflies of gold. Uh, it's, it's, uh, its leaves are massive. Its fruits are as large as the jars of hajar. So we get some impression that it is a dynamic tree. It's a beautiful, majestic tree. It is an otherworldly tree. And this is the uh, Sidratul Muntaha. Now, question. In one hadith, it says that So I passed, basically, Ibrahim in the seventh heaven, and then I saw Sidratul muntaha In the other hadith, that's in Bukhari, in the other hadith in Sahih Muslim, the Prophet said, and then I went to Sidratul muntaha and it is in the sixth heavens. So there is a clear contradiction, because in one hadith, it's in Bukhari, seventh. In the other hadith, it's in Muslim, it is sixth. Imam an nawi tries to uh, explain this, and it seems like a good explanation, and he says, The trunk of the tree begins in the sixth heaven, but its branches finish at the end of the seventh heaven. Because that is the end of the creation as we know it, right? Nothing of the creation uh, of this world at least is beyond the Sidratul Muntaha, right? The only thing that is beyond it is the throne and the one who is above the throne. So the Sidratul Muntaha is the end of this creation. And therefore, this is a good point that Nebu'i brings, there's no contradiction, the Prophet is saying that the Sidratul Muntahab begins in the sixth heaven, and then it continues the trunk of it all the way through until the leaves finish with the top of the uh, seventh heaven. Uh, heaven. And this seems to be a uh, uh, good narration, and in fact, later scholars have found that one of the Tabi'un Qatada, the student of Ibn Abbas, he himself said that the Sidra finishes in the seventh heaven, which means it begins somewhere else. So the Sidra finishes in the seventh heaven, and therefore, from this we derive that the Sidra is a massive tree, a tree that there is, there is like no other tree. And by the way, the motif of a tree is very common in the Qur'an, and the tree is a symbol of Iman and a symbol of life. And subhanallah it is in the fitrah of the children of Adam that when we see a tree we are optimistic that to this day look at any NGO that's a peace NGO or think green NGO whatever it is right what is their symbol a leaf or a twig or a tree it's ingrained in our fitrah right that Allah created us that the tree is peace the tree is life right and the motif of the tree is throughout the Quran and Sunnah so much so that the very end of creation what is it the Sidratul Muntaha and that is the most magnificent of all trees. Then the Prophet said, and at the base of the Sidratul Muntaha fa'idha arba'atu anhar there are four rivers coming down nahrani batinani wa nahrani two of these are hidden and two of these are open so I said to Jibreel what are these rivers? so Jibreel said ammal batinani nahrani fi jannah as for the hidden ones, they are ones in Jannah. You're not going to see them in this world. And as for the ones that everybody can see, wal Furat, The river Nile and the Euphrates river. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, the Prophet is saying, Jibreel is telling him, that the Nile and the Euphrates are blessed rivers. The Nile and the Euphrates are blessed rivers. And subhanAllah, Well, I mean, this is just such a small fact here that now we know that the cradle of civilization has always been associated with these two rivers. That the earliest people on earth is basically Mesopotamia, which is the Euphrates, right? The earliest, where is the land of Iraq or Ur or I mean Babylon, all of these is basically around the Euphrates. And the second civilization is basically on the Nile. And there have been continuous human habitations as far back as we know upon the Euphrates and the Nile. And these two rivers have always been rivers of life and rivers of civilization uh, from the beginning of time. And subhanallah, the Prophet just makes a passing statement that clearly these two rivers, you cannot compare this to the Mississippi for example, right? There is no comparison, nothing against, I mean, you know, but I'm saying this is, you cannot compare this, right? You cannot compare these rivers to any other rivers on earth. These rivers are the rivers where? the origins of life as we know it on earth, right? This is, as we said, the earliest civilizations go back to these. And look at every great civilization, 5,000, 4,000 years ago, they're associated with these two rivers. And our Prophet is saying that, Jibril showed me this and he said, these two rivers are a blessing from Allah that everybody can see. They emanate, Allah knows how. They're starting from up there, but they're apparent for everybody to see. al al-Furat, the Nile and the Euphrates. As for the two rivers of Jannah, they are Al-Kawthar and sal As for the two rivers of Jannah, they are Al-Kawthar, inna al Kawthar, and I have given tafsir of Surah Al-Kawthar uh, here and it's online as well. And Salsabil as well is mentioned in the Quran, Aina fiha tusamma, so the Salsabil is the second river in Jannah. So these are the two rivers of Jannah. Then over here in one version, the Prophet said, Thumma rufi al-Baytul Then I saw Al Baytul mamur In another version, he says, I saw Ibrahim when I saw him in the seventh heaven, sitting with his back on Baytul mamur Allahu Alam, was this one incident? Uh, and somehow it got into these two, or was it two separate times that he saw Baytul Ma'mur? Allahu alam. There is really, I've thought about this a lot, I don't know what to do. Whether we say that he saw it twice, once with Ibrahim, and then once when he, uh, when he saw Sidratul Muntaha, he was shown it a second time, or was it really just one? And uh, Because again, remember, all of these different narrations of the Isra and Miraj are being reported by different Sahaba. And as we said, even here in this gathering, if all of you were to go home after you listen to a lecture about Isra al-Mi'raj, every one of you is going to kind of sort of muddle things up and put things here and there. You will remember interesting anecdotes, right? But somehow, you know, along the way, things are going to happen and this is the human element of documenting the ahadith that we need to be aware of. There's a human element that the Sahaba, they're not, you know, it's not a lie, but I mean, you know, things move around a little bit, and there is a a problem sometimes in some of these narrations, and we find it especially in incidents. Even, by the way, the battles as well, the battle, any battle, it's impossible to reconstruct A to Z. Because when you narrate a battle, I'm jumping the gun here, when you narrate a battle, what do you narrate? One incident right? How do you know when that incident happened? And to link it to the other incidents, does require imagination. Same thing here with the Isra. We're not sure. Maybe he saw it again. And this is when he said that the Baytul Ma'amur is a house, a Ka'bah, similar to the Ka'bah, uh, and in one hadith, he said, It is above the Kaaba on this earth, such that if it were to fall down, it would land on the Kaaba. It would land on this Kaaba. So there is a bait that is in the heavens, like there is a bait that is on this earth. And this is when he said, Every day, 70,000 angels enter it, never to return. And this has been happening since Allah created it until the day of judgment. 70,000 angels on a daily basis, and they never repeat ever again. Uh, between any two angels. And if you do the math after a while, your mind starts boggling away. How many angels are there? Uh, and it's, of course, as Allah says, Only Allah knows the quantity of angels. And then he saw Jibreel السلام, in his original form. He saw Jibreel ﷺ in his original form, and he described him in many a hadith. One of them, Sahih Bukhari, he said, sit to miati جَنَاحِ Jibreel had 600 wings. Qad he blocked the entire horizons. And he said in another hadith in At-Tabari, he says that from the feathers of Jibreel's wings, pearls and corals were dripping. So again, these are not static creatures, neither Sidrat al muntaha nor Jibreel. That there is, this, there is this mystical reality to them. That from his, from his feathers, so Jibreel has feathers, and Jibreel has 600, and that is the maximum number. Allah says in the Quran uh, that uh, uh, most of the angels, Allah says, two or three or four wings. Right, But Jibreel السلام, in this hadith we learn he has 600 wings, because he is the most chosen of the angels of Allah, and he has been preferred over all of the other uh, angels. Ibn Mas'ud said, When he saw Jibreel, this is the reference in the Quran, لَقَدْ رَأَى مِنْ آيَاتِ رَبِّهِ الْكُبْرَى. He saw of his major signs. Right. So what does it mean he saw of his major signs? Well. 3 things he saw one after the other at the highest level number 1 sidratul muntaha number 2 baytul ma'mur number 3 Jibreel. and every one of them is min ayati rabbihil kubra Every one of them is min ayatillahil kubra. The Beitul Ma'amur represents the spiritual Kaaba. It represents the Kaaba of the heavens. It represents the worship of Allah by the angels. The sidratul Muntaha represents the highest portion of this universe. There's nothing higher than that. And of course, Jibril is the most chosen of Allah's servants amongst the angels. And the Prophet is the most chosen of His servants amongst the children of Adam. So the angel and the the, the child of Adam, the two best of them. They see each other in their original forms and it is said that the Prophet Sallallahu only saw Jibreel in his original form twice. Only saw Jibreel in his original form twice and this is one of those two uh, one of those two occasions. Somewhere in this period he was also given Surah Al-Baqarah. We don't know when. All that we know, hadith in Sahih Muslim, that Abdullah ibn Mas'ud said, when the Prophet went on his journey of Isra wal Mi'raj, he stopped at the Sidrat al-Muntaha, and it is in the sixth heaven. This is the same narration I I quoted you before. He stopped at the Sidrat al-Muntaha, and it is in the sixth heaven, and then he explained what is Sidrat al-Muntaha. Upon the Sidra, everything that goes up stops. From the Sidra, everything that originates comes down. Then Ibn Mas'ud said, the Prophet was given three things. Number 1, the 5 Salah, we're going to come to that. Number 2, mu Surat Al-Baqarah. The ending of Surat Al-Baqarah. And number 3, Allah promised him, that whoever worshipped him from his Ummah without doing shirk, that he will be forgiven and caused to enter Jannah. This was a a promise, a gift that Allah gave. So three things were given to him at Sidratul Muntaha or above Sidratul Muntaha. Number one, the five salat, we're going to come to that. Number two, Khawatimu Suratul Baqarah. From this narration, some scholars have said that the last two verses of Suratul Baqarah occupy a special status that no other verse of the Quran has. What is it? This is an opinion, and this is not something that we can say for sure, but it is an opinion based off, upon this. That is, the rest of the Qur'an, Jibreel came down with it, and recited it to the Prophet Sallallahu There's only one passage of the Qur'an, where, a theory, Allah recited it directly to the Prophet Sallallahu in His presence, without it coming down to this earth. And so, the messenger was brought up to receive the revelation rather than the revelation being sent down to him via Jibreel. What is that revelation? The last two verses of Surah Al-Baqarah. And the Prophet said that, in another hadith he said, I have been given this from underneath the treasures of the throne of Allah. So that adds to what Ibn Mas'ud said. That the last two verses of surah Baqar, I have been given them from underneath the throne of the treasure of Allah. And we know that whoever recites these two verses, Allah will uh, protect him. In another hadith he said, whoever recites these two verses on a nightly basis, يعني كفتاه they're going to be enough for him he doesn't need anything else if you make a daily habit of reciting these two verses before you go to sleep they will be sufficient for you scholars have interpreted what does it mean sufficient it means it is sufficient to be protected against shaitan some said it means it is sufficient that even if you don't pray tahajjud that allah will write you amongst those who are not ghafil yani various interpretations but the process I'm left it open whoever recites the last two verses of Surat al-Baqarah every night before he goes to sleep it will be enough for him. So we should make it a habit especially after learning where the, the Surah al-Baqarah, I mean the last two verses came from, we should make it a habit, memorize it and recite it every single night. It was then that the Prophet ﷺ went to the gist of al-Isra and that is the divine appointment. That is the divine presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I have tried my best to read as many of the classical books and narrations and many of the the dissertations written about the Isra and Mi'raj. Sadly, there is nothing that is authentic about the details of this meeting. And there are many legends that are not true. There are fabrications that are not true. Of the most common fabrications is that the Tahiyyat that we say in Salah is a summary of this conversation. This is fabricated. There is no basis to this. The, for those of you who don't know the fabrication, and please know this is fabrication, so don't, if you're sleeping, wake up now, listen to me carefully. Don't quote me that I said this. Say that I said it's a fabrication. What is the fabrication? The fabrication is that the Prophet allegedly began the conversation by saying, at wa salawat wa tayyibat. And Allah responded by saying, Assalamu alaykum, ayuhannabi. And the Prophet sallallahu wasallam wanted to expand the salam by saying Assalamu alayna wa ala ibadillahi salihin. And then the angels chimed in and they testified, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa shadu anna Muhammad rasulullah. Yani it sounds weird. It is weird, and it is not reported in any authentic book of hadith. So we can uh, discard this narration. Um... One thing that I was looking for in particular: uh, Did the Prophet go beyond the Sidratul al-Muntaha alone, or was he accompanied by Jibril? And I've looked in as many sources as I as I could, and I have access to. I could not find anything except for an indirect reference, and that is in Sahih Bukhari. Uh, the Prophet says, "Thumma 'urijabi, hatta 'dhahratu li mustawan asmau al then, I was caused to ascend forth, in the singular. Not Jibreel brought me forth, because before that, it was always Jibreel is putting, bringing with me. And Jibreel tells me, this is al Muntaha. Once he gets to al Muntaha, the Prophet ﷺ speaks in the third person, that someone caused me to ascend, not Jibreel anymore. And I rose to a level where I could hear the pen writing. Now, what is the pen? And who is the writer? We know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as the Prophet said, the first thing that Allah created was the pen. And then Allah told the pen, أكتب. So the pen asked Allah, What should I write? And Allah said, Write everything that will happen until the end, until Yom Al qiyam Write everything. So, the pen is being written directly by the command of Allah. There is no scribe doing the writing. The pen is a creation of Allah that is doing the writing. And the Prophet is saying, I rose to a level where I could hear the pen being inscribed. Allahu A'lam, we can assume from this that the Prophet rose beyond the Sidratul Muntaha alone. For two reasons. Number one, Jibreel is not mentioned at all. Jibreel is mentioned as having shown himself in his original form, where? At the Sidra. At the Sidra. Right, that's what the Prophet said. That once the Sidra has basically been shown, then I saw Jibreel. So it is as if now, Jibreel has left off his shackles, he is now free to be who he is, but that's all he can be, at the Sidra. Then the Prophet says in the singular, then I, biya, singular, I was caused to ascend up. There is no mention of Jibreel at all. Until I could hear the pen. Who is doing the writing? There is no angel above the the Sidratul Muntaha. There is no living creature above the Sidratul Muntaha as far as we know. That's where everything stops. Now we hear that the Prophet has gone beyond this. And therefore, it is... Insha'Allah, legitimate to say that the Prophet went to a level that no living creature has ever been to as far as we know. No living creature. He went beyond Jibreel, he went beyond even the Sidratul Muntaha, and he heard the Divine Pen as it was writing in the book that Allah has with him. Because the Prophet says that Allah wrote in a book that he has with him. There is a book that Allah has above the throne. And the Prophet is saying, I rose to a level, I could hear the pen inscribing in the book. Who else is there in this audience other than the owner of the throne and the one who tells the pen to write. So this was an elite audience the likes of which we don't know ever occurred with any other being, any other uh, creature. Uh, But we don't have any any details about what was said, except for the 50 salawat. Even though we can assume that other things were also said, but we, we, the only thing that has been reported to us is that the Prophet ﷺ said that 50 salawat were prescribed for me. And then from there we go on to what everybody knows, right? So this particular, and this is the pinnacle, and perhaps there is a wisdom that What happened is something that is private. What happened is something that is so precious, that is so noble, that is such a blessed gift that the Prophet doesn't need or want to tell us. And that is something that only Allah and the Prophet know the full conversation, what took place. And that is perhaps a wisdom as well. What do we know of this conversation? Just one thing. And that is Allah told him to pray 50 times. That that uh, Allah Azza wa uh علي, the Prophet said علي خمسين Khamsina كل يوم fifty salawat every single day. Now you know the story from here. And he goes back down, and he meets Musa. Now he must have passed by Ibrahim because Ibrahim is in the seventh, right? Musa is in the sixth. He must have passed by. Ibrahim says nothing. Why not? Two reasons. Number one. Ibrahim is at a higher level. And it is not in the nature of Ibrahim to يعترض, or to, to try to uh, second guess. Whatever Allah says will go. Whereas Musa is not at that level of Ibrahim and he wants to try to negotiate. Another point, Ibrahim has no experience with large ummas, Whereas Musa, is the most experienced Prophet up until this time. Up until this time, when he meets the Prophet he is the most experienced Prophet. Now the Prophet is going to have experiences in the Madini phase especially. But in the Meccan phase, he's only been active for 11-12 years, right? And Musa has had How much? 80 years or something of of, of, uh, uh, interaction with the Bani Israelite, if not more than this. We don't uh, probably more than 80 to be honest. Uh, We don't know exactly when he became a prophet, but at least 80 to 90 years. So he has more experience. And therefore, Musa is the one who asks him. Oh, there's a third reason as well, by the way. There's a third reason. So, the first two we mentioned. The third one, Musa knows that something is going to happen in this meeting. How does he know this? Because he's been there, done that at a smaller scale. Way smaller. Because Musa is the only Prophet whom Allah Azza wa Jal spoke to directly before the Prophet Muhammad uh, uh, There is of course a reference to Adam being spoken to as well by the way, but that was in Jannah. That was in Jannah. But Musa only went up to a mountain. And Allah spoke to him on this earth. Our Prophet Muhammad he was granted a divine audience in the presence of the King of Kings. And he was called up as the messenger. So Musa has been there done that at a way smaller scale and that is on earth. And Musa knows, now by the way this also shows, Musa was there for how long? How long was he in Tura Saina? 40 days, the appointment was for 30 and then Allah increased it 10 this clearly shows that a lot happened what do we know of what happened nothing other than the ten commandments correct right nothing other than the ten commandments that's what musa tells his people and what we know similarly the prophet must have been there for a time frame time doesn't have meaning up there right there's no watch over there this is in the world of allah Azzawajal. when he comes back to this earth Only a few minutes have gone by. But what happened and how long? This is another dimension for us if you like, right? So how long was he in the presence of Allah? What happened? Zero details. So Musa has been there, done that. He knows there's going to be a message, a commandment. Like he was given the Ten Commandments, the Prophet is going to be given something. So he asked the Prophet What did your Lord tell you for your ummah? Because he knows. He knows that such a meeting would not be except for multiple purposes. One of them being, what did your Lord tell you for your ummah? So here the Prophet says that my Lord told me that I should tell my ummah to pray 50 times a day. To pray 50 times a day. Here Musa says, irji' ila rabbik. Go back to your Lord. Wasalhu And tell him to lower this because... I have more experience than you with the Bani Israel and your ummah will not be able to do 50 times a day. So, this is uh, a detail that m- many people don't know. It's in Muslim Imam Ahmad. The Prophet looked at Jibreel wanting to get his opinion. Ka'annahu <laughs> yastashiruhu, the riwayat says. As if he's getting his opinion. And Jibreel nodded to him, yes, do that. And this shows us that despite Musa being who he is, the Prophet did not feel content until he got a second opinion. A second opinion. And you know in the world that we live in, anything that's major, we should always get a second opinion. Here, even in the next world, the Prophet is getting a second opinion. right? Musa's opinion is good, but it's not good enough. So he looks to Jibreel, Ka'annahu getting his istishara. What do you think? And so Jibreel nods to him, Ay, na'am. yes, yes. You should do it. So, basically, backed with the second best prophet and the first best angel, right? The process feels empowered. So, and this is, by the way, another evidence that Jibreel did not go up with him. That Jibreel is still down. That he's going up by himself. Right, so he goes back up because if Jubril Jib- had gone up, then he wouldn't have needed to do the asking there. jibril is in the seventh heaven, in the sixth heaven. So the process went back up. Now here is where the riwayah differ. Some of them say it went down five, five, five. Others say it went down ten, ten, ten. Um, this is there is no way to resolve this. They're all authentic, but really the point is the same, and that is multiple times back and forth, back and forth. If if five times or was it uh, uh, nine times? But it went back and forth. We don't know exactly how many because the riwayat differ, but it was clearly at least five times. At least five times he's going back and forth, and every time Musa is telling him the same thing, that go back to your Lord and ask him to lower it, because I have tested the children of Israel, and they will not be able to do this. Your ummah will not be able to do this. Until finally when he came back down with five, this was when uh, Musa said it one more time, and the Prophet said, I have gone back and forth, استحييتو, Until I am embarrassed now. How much am I going to do? How much am I going to go back? arda wa But I am content and happy. So when he said this, Nadamunadin, A voice called out. And this is the voice of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. wa an ibadi. My faridah has been established and I have uh, made uh, things easier for my servants. It is 5 but it shall be rewarded with 50. It is 5 but it shall be rewarded with 50. What this means is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, somebody with weak iman will say, why didn't the Prophet go back, get it down more? right? The response is firstly, be careful of your adab with the Prophet if anybody's thinking this. Secondly, Allah had already decreed it would be five. And the Prophet yani Allah basically gave him that ilham to know when to stop. That Allah had already decreed it would be five. And that's why when, he, when the Prophet said, I'm embarrassed to go anymore, the voice came out. And the two people hearing it are the two people who've already had an audience with Allah. Musa and the process right? The two people hearing this have already had experience with Allah. So Allah is speaking to them because He's already spoken to them. And what does Allah say? This is my fadila, and it will pass. And I have already basically made it easy for my servants. And it is five, but it shall be rewarded with fifty. It is five, but it should be rewarded with fifty. Now, uh, over here, I mean, again, so much can be derived over here. So much can be derived, but of the things that uh, we benefit from this, of the things that we benefit from this, first and foremost, the status of the salah. The status of the salah. That, just like we talked about Surah Al Baqarah, the last two verses being given at this time, in fact, the salah is in fact an even higher level, if you like, than this, because the purpose of the divine audience was to establish the salah. That every single commandment, from the zakah, to the hajj, to the tahajjud, to Quran, to the jihad, everything, Allah sent Jibreel down to the Prophet to command us to do things. But for one commandment, it was so important, that the messenger was called to the king of kings, to receive the message directly from the divine. There was only one thing, that was so important that our Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi is told you need to come up because there is a message that needs to be delivered directly to you so the messenger is summoned to the presence of the Divine and what is then decreed? the one commandment, only one commandment that we know of and all the rest come down indirectly through Jibreel and that is the salah and if, that, if, if this was the only blessing that we have of salah, it is enough of a blessing but you can add to this that the Quran is full of the importance of Salah. Uh, every single Prophet is uh, to, is mentioned in the Qur'an, as praying. The Prophet says, I passed by the grave of Musa, he was praying. The Prophet Sallallahu says, I entered Baitul Maqdis, Ibrahim is praying, Musa is praying, Isa is praying. Salah is a standard, every single Prophet. And so many verses in the Qur'an, and there are plenty of khutbas you can listen to about the, the blessings of Salah, the very first verse in the Qur'an. That this is, salah. from the very beginning, right? Uh, uh, Isa in the cradle, as a baby, he says, that my Lord has commanded me with salati was zakati ma dumtu hayya. As a baby he is saying, my Lord has commanded me to give, to do salah and to pay zakah as long as I live. All of this shows salah was important. And it was so important for our ummah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself invited the Prophet to receive this direct uh, commandment. Uh, another uh, benefit that we gain from this. Is that, and I mentioned this in a previous, uh, previous uh, halaqah here, that subhanAllah, when the Prophet ﷺ was told that he needs to pray 50 times a day, even though it was lowered to 5, he himself, it was his regular habit to pray 50 times a day. Because the commandment had come down. Even though the takhfif or the, 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 the lightness came, Right? But when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said fifty, the Prophet in his personal life on a daily basis would pray fifty rakat. You want to do the math with me altogether? We did this once before. You want to do the math with me altogether? What are the fara'id? How many? Seventeen. Seventeen. Okay, we agreed. Seventeen. Halas. How many are the sunnah nar-ratibah? 12. twelve. Seventeen plus twelve gives us? 29. Twenty-nine. Okay. How much is the regular uh Wittr and Tahajjud that he would pray? Eight and three. Eleven. Eight and three. Here is where... Uh, no, eleven or thirteen. Because generally he would also pray two rak'at before he began the eleven. Aisha says these were the shortest two rak'at I've ever seen. Right? So thirteen is also a number that is given in many riwayats. That the two rak'at were an introduction to the Tahajjud. Okay, so one riwayat says 11 and others say uh, 13 and others bring in two raka'at in other places. So let us say for this one it is 13. So how much do we get now? 42. 42. 42. And then he would pray a salah after fajr and before duhr call, salat said duha. And how much was duha? 8, eight raka'at. 42 plus 8? 50. Right? So 50 raka'at on the dot was the regular routine of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam even though he didn't this is not what is wajib for the ummah, right? But in his own, and this is by the way the regular. Every time he enters the masjid, every time he does wudu, every time he does istikhara, this is additional to those 50, right? The regular salawat, 50 raka'at. And this is from, uh, from the commandment of Allah azza wa jal, initially, that is going to be 50. Another benefit that, that we can think of or derive, what is the wisdom of bringing down a number When Allah knows that it's going to be brought down. Uh, To be very blunt here, why go through this whole routine of 50, 45, 40, 35, 30, 20? Why? When Allah knows that it's going to go down to 5, why not just say 5 and get it over with? Many wisdoms. First and foremost, to show the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah Azza wa does not want to make life difficult for us. That if Allah had wanted to, He could have. But He doesn't. That's not that's not what Allah wants. Allah says in the Quran, you read Allah Allah wants to make things easy. Allah says in the Quran, you read Allah bikumul Yusra. Bikum Allah wants to make things easy for you. He does not want to make things difficult for you. Allah says in the Quran, Wama ja'ala fid min haraj. There that Allah has not put a haraj in this religion for you. Allah has not put this religion to be complicated and convoluted and difficult for you. So, there is a wisdom here to demonstrate that when the Prophet goes back and says uh, that, Oh my Lord, my ummah is weak, they cannot do 50. Allah listens and He keeps on going down and down and down. And this shows us the majesty and the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Another wisdom of decreeing it 50 and then bringing it down to 5 is that there is a clear indication given that O son of Adam, you were only created for one purpose and one purpose only. And that is the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because do the math. What does 50 prayers translate into? Every 15-20 minutes you're going to be praying. right? Do the math. right? What does 50 prayers translate? Your entire day and night is going to be salawat. right? And so there is an indication here that, O son of Adam, you have only been created for ibadah. And the asr or the general rule is that you should be praying to Allah like the angels pray. Because the angels, They pray day and night and they never get tired. That's what the creation is supposed to do. Goes back to the khutbah I gave last week, remember about the purpose of creation is the worship of Allah Azza wa Jal. And we're supposed to worship Allah. So Allah is indicating here that had I told you to pray 50 times a day, this is what you should be doing, but I know you can't do it. So I'm going to say do as you please, but pray these five salawat. And subhanallah, isn't it so sad then that after all of this, the bulk of the ummah cannot even spend Literally, it it co- it costs 20 minutes of our day, if not less than this, for those who don't pray sunan, right? It costs 20 minutes of our day, and many of us find these five daily salawat difficult, and that is uh, a real sadness and a, a reality of the uh, of the uh, ummah. Uh, so all of this, basically, this is now the the. Uh, it's not the grand finale. There's more to follow, but this is the main. If you like, incident, and that is the meeting of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then the Prophet goes back down and he tells us many things that he saw on the way down. And he says that then I saw heaven and hell. And that, that we're going to talk about next week. But the question here why did he see heaven and hell and see all of these things after meeting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Why not before? Because what is, the, what is the whole, if you like, cycle? He's basically going up and up and up and up. And as he's going up, he meets all of these prophets going through all of the samawat. And he gets to the very end of creation. And he sees al Muntaha. And he sees Jibreel in the original form. And he still continues to go up. And there is where he meets Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then on the way down, a lot of other things happen. The wisdom here is obvious. And that is, it is not befitting that the meeting with the king of kings be delayed for anything. He has been called for a divine purpose, a divine audience. So he is going up, straight up and up and up, and he is simply going through to get to that divine meeting, to get to that interaction with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then once he meets Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, once he speaks with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then he may go and do other things. It is not befitting that even in our times when the dignitary comes, the first thing that the dignitary, he goes and meets with the, the king or the president or the emperor. Then if he wants to go sightseeing, then it's fine. right? But the initial audience must be with the King of Kings. And so it makes no, it makes complete sense, excuse me, that the Prophet immediately goes to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Everything else is just on the way up. Then after that divine meeting, the rest of it begins and there is of course a lot more that's going to happen uh, and inshallah we'll talk about that next week. The time uh, for today is up. Uh, but I use the word meeting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that is an appropriate word. However, as we'll come to next week, uh, there is a controversy, did he see Allah or not? There's a controversy. Some scholars said he did, some scholars said he didn't. The strongest opinion is we'll talk about he did not see Allah, but he had a private meeting in which he saw the veil of Allah. He didn't see Allah, he saw the veil of Allah. There is a veil. And this is yet another indication that he went to a level that Jibreel did not go to, that uh, it was beyond what any being has been to. And uh, to conclude here, uh, Surah An-Najm, the beginning portions of Surah An-Najm describe certain of these incidents uh, in. Uh, as usual, uh, indirect language. It's, you need to understand the context. إِذَا مَا sahibukum وَمَا وَمَا يَنْطِقُ عَنِ الهوى, That when the star, when it goes down, your companion has neither gone astray nor has he erred. وَمَا يَنْطِقُ عَنِ الهوى, And he's not speaking from his imagination. i.e. what he saw is not just a dream. Now you understand Surah An-Najm in light of Isra. Right? Read Surah An-Najm, the first page, in light of Isra. So Allah is saying wama anil hawa. What he is saying is not just coming from his whims and desires. No. What he is saying in illa wahyun yuha. This is wahi from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not just the Quran, everything that he's is saying is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In illa Yuha. shadidul He has been taught by the one who is mighty in power. The reference is Jibril. He has been taught by the one who is mighty in power. Thu mirratin fastawa. Thu mirra means he is free of any defect. Thu mirra means he is perfect. Fastawa wa huwa bil ufuqil a'la. And he. Uh, I'm translating colloquially, not not not, not uh, specific or not uh, pedantically or accurately, because the point is wa al A'la" means Jibril revealed himself at the highest of heavens. bil when he was at the very highest part. I.e., where is the highest part? the al-Muntaha, right? This is where Jibreel revealed himself. And that's why Allah describes him as the embodiment of perfection. Fastawa Thumma And then Jibreel came closer and closer. Fakana Jibreel was closer to the Prophet than two bows length, you know, bow and arrow. Two bows length. Jibreel was closer. So Allah is describing the miraculous encounter between Jibreel and the Prophet And there is an even more miraculous encounter about to take place. Right? But this is an encounter right now between the original form of Jibreel and the Prophet And then فَأَوْحَىٰ إِلَىٰ عَبْدِهِ مَا after the encounter with Jibreel, he moved on to an even higher encounter. Where Allah inspired his servant with whatever he inspired. There's secrecy here. You guys don't need to know. Fa عَبْدِهِ مَا أوحى. All you need to know, 50 salawat. Right? So Allah doesn't mention the details as we already said. We don't know anything. إلى عَبْدِهِ مَا ma مَا كَذَبَ الْفُؤَادُ مَا رأى. The chest is not lying in what it saw. Allah ascribed the vision to the chest because the eyesight absorbed it in. And when he's speaking, he's speaking the truth now. Are you gonna argue with him with what he saw? You're gonna argue what knowledge do you have? He knows what he saw, and he saw the truth. He saw of the most amazing miracles and signs of his Lord. What did he see? Sidrat al-Muntaha, Jibril, Al-Bayt al-Ma'mur, the heavens, the samawat, the earth. He saw the Jannah, and nar all of this he saw. So, this Surah Al-Najm summarizes for us uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala defending the Prophet and praising him as having seen everything and then praising his bravery and courage wa ma that the eyes did not go beyond nor did they transgress. In other words, as we said, the eyes absorbed all that they saw and they were supposed to. And Allah says, uh, inshaAllah we will open the floor for q a Next week we'll come back and we'll continue the journey down. And then the journey back from Jerusalem to Mecca. And then the next morning, what happened uh, when the Prophet woke up and he had to... Uh, and he did wake up, by the way. And that's another controversy. Because the phrase says, I woke up. So does this mean that it was a dream? Or does this mean it was a physical uh, transportation? Again, that's the controversy we'll talk about as well, inshallah ta'ala, next Wednesday. Uh, we open up the floor for a few minutes of questions, inshallah. And then break for Salat al isha Yes. Exactly. Okay. It seems if we had to do fifty prayers we would not have to worry about food and all and that would have kept coming because obviously that's the mercy up if we had to do that. The question is you talked about the pen writing and that that the action is going on. Would it be right to assume that the qadar of Allah is being written all the time? It is that dynamic of This is not something that's stuck being done stopped because it seems to be an event which is going on, and the prayers can change that or the prayers can modify that. So it's a dynamic. Here. So the question is: since the pens are still writing, does this mean that the qadar is still being written as we speak? The response is. It's a very perceptive question, by the way. The response is. There are multiple levels of Qadr. And in fact, to be academic, there are five levels of Qadr. There are five levels of Qadr. There is the uh, Qadr al-Azali, which is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wrote before He created the heavens and earth by 50,000 years. There's a Qadr al-Azali. This was before Allah created anything. Allah azza wa jal wrote down uh, everything that would happen. Uh, There's also the Qadr that is the uh, yearly Qadr, right? There's also the Qadr that is the lifetime Qadr, that when the child is in the womb of the mother, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala writes down, the hadith is in Sahih Bukhari, writes down, Umrihi and uh, Amalihi and Shaqiyun or Saeed, all of this is written down, right? Uh, there's also, uh, uh, by the way, laylatul, lay, laylatul Qadr is the yearly Qadr, right? Laylatul Qadr is the yearly Qadr. Uh, there's also a Qadr that is a daily Qadr, Kulla Right? And that's a daily Qadr. Every day uh, there is decisions and, 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 and things going on. So, certain types of Qadr never change. The Qadr al-Azali never changes. Other types of Qadr, the daily and the yearly Qadr, they can change, and Allah has already decreed that they're going to change, but nobody knows this other than Allah. Even the angels don't know this. right? And so, the daily Qadr, for example, it might come down, in the daily qadr, that to the malak al maut that take the soul of so-and-so. Take the soul of so-and-so. And the malak al maut uh, by the way, every one of us has a malak al maut Every one of us, there is an angel whose only job is to take our soul when our time is done. قُلْ مَلَكُ الْمَوْتِ الَّذِي بِكُمْ There is malak al maut that has been assigned to you. The purpose that this angel exists is to take my soul and your soul. And you have an angel and I have an angel. And that's his job. He's just waiting for it. Whenever the command comes, that's what he's going to do. That's why Allah created him. Right? So, the commandment comes down on the daily qadr. That you're going to take the soul of so and so. Right? I didn't mean to point at you. Just uh, take it back. But one day it's going to (laughs) happen. He was the one who asked the question. Okay. (laughs) But one day it's going to happen. Me and you. Right? So, one day, the Malakul mut will be told, you're going to take the life of so-and-so. That is the daily Qadr. It is possible that at the very last instance, the Prophet ﷺ said, if you're good to your relatives, you will increase your life. Silatul Rahim increases Umur. Right? For example, there are other things that increase Umur as well. So, on that day, you happen to be generous to your relatives. And somebody was being rude to you, but you swallowed your pride and you said, whatever, I'm going to be good for the sake of Allah. At the last instance, Allah has already decreed al-Qadar al-Azali. Right? The angel doesn't know. Everybody thinks, the angels think, this is his last day on earth. right? But you've done something and Allah sends the decree that uh, give him a respite, give him another year, another five years because of this act. right? And that's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, يَمْحُوا اللَّهُ مَا يَشَاءُ وَيُثْبِتْ وَعِنْدَهُ أُمُّ الْكِتَابِ Allah will erase whatever He wants. And Allah will allow to stand whatever He wants. But He has Ummul Kitab. And that's the Qadr Al-Azali. Right? Doesn't Which doesn't change. And Allah knew that it would change because of what you had done. Okay, other questions? Yes. Just uh, on Malakul Mawd, uh, you said that uh, there is a Malakul Mawd for every individual. Yes. Individual. And there is a head Malakul mouth as well. Yes. Yeah, the one Israeli. So that's different from... Yes. Okay. Sisters, any questions? Yes. I'm not going to repeat the question. It's <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> a bit of a very controversial question, so I'm not going to repeat. She said that some groups pray three times a day. Um, uh, firstly, the group that you mentioned does not pray at all. So, uh, they don't pray at all. The group that you mentioned does not pray. They do not pray at all. Uh, Their other versions of that particular understanding of Islam uh, pray three times a day. Uh, They pray three times, but they pray five prayers. So they believe that Basically, imagine you're always a traveler on this earth so you can always combine zohar and Asr and Maghrib and Isha, let's say. So, they combine zohar and Asr and they combine Maghrib and Isha, okay? Um, And so, they do pray five prayers, but they pray them at three times. So, it is incorrect to say that they only pray three prayers. They don't pray three, they pray five prayers. No Muslim group in classical Islam That did offer prayers, prayed except five times. This is unanimous consensus of all Muslims who pray. But the group that you mentioned do not have a Sharia. Their Sharia is abrogated. They don't have a Sharia, so there is no halal and haram for them. There is no salah and zakah for that group, so they don't pray at all. Okay. Yes, go ahead. That's yes, the real story. We don't have any real story. <laughs> the real story is lack of a story. We do it because the Prophet told us to do it. Uh, this is mawdu'ah fabricated. There is la aslalah in the kutub as-sunnah. Go ahead. Uh, Allah's throne was carried by six angels, right? Which level are the angels? وَيَحْمِلُ عَرْشَ رَبِّكَ فَوْقَهُمْ So huh? where and what level are they at? To <speaking of> an <angel> on that day... The Day of Judgment. What about the hadith from the uh, one Sahabi died in the Allah's throne shook? Allah's throne shook. Yes, that was Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh. No. Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh. Uh al-Arsh. The throne shook. What about it? Okay, well, that the Day of Judgment. La, 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 la. So the throne shook. So Allah's throne shook. I, I don't understand the question, I'm sorry. The angels the angels shook it. It didn't say, it doesn't say the angel shook it, it says arsh that the throne shook. It doesn't say the angel shook it, it says Allah's throne shook. Now Allah there are descriptions of the carriers of the throne, but the ayah tells us that it will be brought on the day of judgment right so and now again this is subhanallah we don't have a map you know of of the samawat right these are all yani guesses that people have so one understanding and this is the understanding that i think can explain all of these ahadith and ayat is that above the sidrat al-muntaha there is nothing other than the throne and the one who is above it there is an interpretation that says, as you very correctly pointed out, that there are a category of angels separate from the angels of this world, and Jibreel is... But see, the problem therefore would come with this interpretation that Jibreel would therefore not be the best angel. And we know Jibreel is indeed the chosen... We know this from numerous ahadith, and also, نَزَلَ الامين, Right? And Allah subhanahu taala says, "Inna wa fiha." So Allah mentions one out of all of the angels, Allah mentions one. So clearly, Jibreel is the best of angels. If we were to say that there are hamalat al-arsh right now above the sidrat al-muntaha, this kind of sort of might clash. Others can say, well, it doesn't, they have a job and Jibreel has a job. So the bottom line, nobody can be sure. But Allahu A'lam, the interpretations that suggest that that is going to occur and that there is a category of angels who have been assigned to do that job on the day of judgment, this does seem to make sense. Wallahu A'lam. Final questions. Yes. Uh, if there's no question on this. uh I think it's the month of Rabi Allah, I think it would be probably good for giving us advice about this. Um, so, uh, for the uh, more academically inclined, I have a very long article on, on Muslim matters about the history of the celebration of the Prophet's birthday, So sallam. I encourage all of you to read that. Uh, it is uh, around 25-30 pages long and uh, inshallah without any exaggeration or immodesty, it is the most comprehensive study in the English language about the uh, history of the celebration of the Prophet's birthday. And you can just Google it with my name it's on Muslim Matters, a three-part article. And in it I clearly point out that for the first 600 years of Islam, the celebration of the Prophet's birthday was unknown in uh, Sunni lands. Uh, I say Sunni because it was done by the Fatimid uh, Sh- uh, Ismaili dynasty and they had a they had it actually on the 13th and not even on the 12th uh, and I- eventually in a very far away province uh, it became popular in that province around 610 or so uh, AH 610 so 600 years after the death of the Prophet it started and then it just spread uh, after that time and Uh, initially many of the scholars opposed it. And there are a number of fatawa in the 7th century of scholars saying that this has no basis to it. But it turned out to be a very popular uh, celebration because this is a very slippery slope. Love of the Prophet is a very slippery slope because it's very easy to exaggerate that love. Because everybody loves the Prophet, right? And that's why the Prophet said, be careful about exaggerating praising me. And he said, Hadith is in Bukhari and Muslim, La ta'trooni. Do not exaggerate in praising me. You know, even in Urdu, itra'. Ittara means exaggeration and praising, right? لا تطروني كما أطرطت النصارى Isa ibn Maryam Like the Christians did with Jesus Christ. a perfect hadith that shows what happens when you let your love go blind and uncontrolled. Perfect example, right? Our Prophet is Sayyidu Waladi Adam, Khayru Khalqillah, Imam Mursalin, mursaleen We keep on going on and on. But he is not the object of worship he was sent so that allah be worshipped and not him and therefore these types of celebrations uh, إليه, if there was good in it the sahaba would have done it the tabiun would have done it the fact that they didn't do it shows that they uh that they didn't consider it. in fact as i said even the day he was born if you remember we said it's unknown and this shows that the Sahaba did not make a big deal of it, right? The true birthday of the Prophet if you really want to celebrate it, it should be done every Monday by fasting, right? And you're never going to find these people who defend the 12th of Rabiul awwal wanting to fast every Monday. And wallahi, in this there's an indication something is wrong, right? There's a hadith in Bukhari, sorry, in Muslim, where the Prophet was asked, why do you fast on Monday? And he said, because on Monday the wahi came down to me. And on Monday, I was born, and he was to two, three other things. So, if you really want to celebrate the process of the birthday, it's a weekly event. And how do you celebrate it? Not by halwa and puri. <laughs> Sorry, but by fasting from halwa and puri. <laughs> I can have that in the evening. Alhamdulillah. Nonetheless, nonetheless, uh, I say that. Brothers and sisters, please be careful here as well. Uh, Bid'as are of levels. And some bid'as are trivial compared to others. And if people gather together to sing the praises of the Prophet in a legitimate manner, and to mention his seerah in a legitimate manner, and they do it on the 12th of Rabi'ul Awwal, Thinking that this is encouraged, this is a very trivial matter in the grand scale of things. Had they done it on any other day, it would have been completely permissible. Suppose we did it today, what we're doing, right? So if we did it on the 12th of al-awwal, and we thought that, of course, if it was an accidental 12th of al-awwal, it's fine. But if we thought that there's something extra on this day, I mean, it's such a trivial thing. So uh, we should not cause controversy. We have far bigger things to worry about than to divide the Ummah. I know some groups will celebrate the Mawlid, even here in Memphis, right? Let them go and do it. I'm not going to give a khutbah against the Mawlid because most of the people who celebrate the Mawlid, let's be brutally honest, don't even pray five times a day. So why should then I prioritize something like this at the expense of something far more important, right? Tell these people, if you really love the Prophet why don't you pray more often? Just you know, change it like this, right? Okay, what you're doing, it's coming from good intentions. We don't doubt that, right? It's coming from good intentions. But the true celebration of the of the uh, you know the the coming of the process is by following his message. Ibn Abbas said this verse is called the verse of the test. This is Ibn Abbas speaking. This verse is called the verse of the test. Say, if you truly say that you're loving Allah, the proof is in following me. فَاتَّبِعُونِي Then Allah will love you. Right? So, for those who are celebrating the Mawlid in a legitimate manner. What is a legitimate manner? Sirah. Uh, in Pakistan, knots that are permissible because there's knots that go to impermissible levels, right? Knots are, or hymns that are permissible in that, you know, they say, الله الله This general stuff which is permissible. What is impermissible to make dua to the Prophet? What is impermissible to say that he is Nuri Ilahi? What is impermissible to go beyond what our religion says about him? To stick to the Quran and Sunnah and then to do something on the 12th of Rabiul Awal is a matter that I find so insignificant that I don't give public talks against it. And had you not asked, I would not have said anything. Right? I don't like it and I don't participate in it. But as an ummah, we have far bigger things to worry about. And therefore, if you have friends or relatives doing these things, don't come barging in and saying, shirk, bid'ah, kufur, haram. Yani understand that, understand, I'm being serious here. Understand that they're doing something based on their good intention and there's a time and a place to correct them and there's a methodology to correct them, right? And whenever you say something is bid'ah, always provide them the opposite, the sunnah. Because the problem comes, you become the one with the stick and you never come with the carrot or the honey. Right? Halwa le karaja is good. Bring the halwa. And say, don't do your halwa. Come, bring halwa to MIC on Sunday. Let's do this. Who agrees that Dr. Nanieb should bring halwa next Wednesday? Right? Yes. OK. So next Wednesday, we've all ijma'a unanimous, right? That instead of the halwa over there, have halwa over here. OK? We all agree now. We've solved your problem for you. <laughs> you can have your halwa and eat it too. <laughs> <Inshallah>. <laughs> <laughs> inshallah. With this inshallah, with this happy note inshallah, they're all looking forward to halwa next week.